Welcome to University, a podcast for young people navigating life's big transitions. I'm Anne-Marie Ciresso, your host. On University, you'll hear stories from college students. You'll get tips from experts. And occasionally, you'll hear from a parent's perspective on how to manage this time of change in your life consciously. Find yourself. Find your purpose. Find your people and pursue you fearlessly. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of University. I'm excited for you to meet Shaina Safar today. I spoke to her this past fall and we talked about her journey to college and the amazing opportunities she's created for herself. Shaina is a first generation low-income Muslim and Pakistani student and she shares what it was like to be a minority and a first-generation student applying to college and how despite all that, she found her way into an Ivy League school. Shaina is truly a driven, empowered young leader who has this inspiring, like, I can do anything I put my mind to attitude. Her choice to be a conscious and empowered creator of her life and not a victim of her circumstances is so inspiring to me. So you're gonna hear in her voice that she's extremely passionate about making impact in the world and you'll hear enthusiasm for being the change she wishes to see in the world. It's contagious when you listen in, I love it. And she makes no excuses. She simply digs in and creates opportunity and. This is what I encourage you to listen in for today. Pay attention to her mindset and her can-do attitude. It's a great reminder for any of us to remember that we have the ability to do anything we put our minds to. It's truly up to you. And as you listen in, I encourage you to think about the impact you want to have in your life, in the life of others, in the world, whatever it is and pay close attention to the barriers that you create in your mind based on your life circumstances. So it doesn't matter how old you are or where you come from, it's absolutely up to you to create the life you want to, just like Shina. I just want you to start a little bit, tell us about yourself. Sure, um, so my name is Shina. I'm 18 years old and a current sophomore at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm heavily interested in international relations, social impact, um, and really using the private sector to help the public sector. Um, In terms of my background, I was born in Brooklyn, um, grew up in Long Island and Canada, and have one brother. He's two years old, so he's very young compared to me. Um, But um, being in New York um, and being close to home, but a good distance away too. And that's a little bit about me. And Okay, so you're the first thing I caught is you're 18 and a sophomore. How does that math add up? I'm just really young. I'm just really smart. Um, they moved me up. No, no, no. So um, <laughs> in terms of the cutoff, I was able to essentially um, just join like around fifth and fourth, fourth, fifth grade. I just met the cutoff for um, being enrolled in, in my grade. So essentially I kind of skipped a grade, but um, I did meet the, I was, I just barely yeah. at the cutoff, and I'm just younger than a lot of people in my grade. That's why. So I'm turning 19 in December. So you have a birthday around the corner. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your path to Penn, because that's a pretty impressive mm-hmm. school to get into. And um, 
on your website, you described yourself as a Muslim American Pakistani first generation low income, so an FGLI student. Um, so yeah, tell us about that. Tell us about what it's like to, you know, be at Penn and how you got there and what it's like to be a Muslim American Pakistani first generation low income college student there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I think the core of being at Penn is I'm very, very grateful. And I, I never think, I never truly thought that I would be at a place like, um, an Ivy League institution like Penn. Um, and as a first generation low income college student, it's definitely a process. College is something that every, no one has the answers on how to get in. There is no formula. There is no defined pathway. Um, it, it really is a, a gamble. I think it's just game theory. I truly think it's just game theory. And I think there's no one straight correct answer to it. So for me, applying to Penn and, and applying to college was definitely daunting. And I felt like I did not know what I was doing at all. Whereas mm -hmm. my other friends had siblings that were in college or um, ha went to schools with great college counselors and, and a defined program. Yes. I had to do everything on my own. I was definitely someone that was constantly researching um, on websites about scholarships, about different university programs, about what the most, most economical way for me to go to college was, but at the same time, um, have an experience where I was really being enriched in learning and, and diverse perspectives. And Penn is, really embodies all of the values that I wanted to see and being Pakistani and being Muslim and, and being a woman, there's so many factors that go into your identity that then represent your lived experiences. So for me, when I was applying to colleges, um, I definitely looked into the programs that I wanted to do and, and the location was something that it mattered to me. I knew I wanted to be in a city environment um, and, that, and that I wanted to still be close enough to home, but not too close. Um, and Penn really embodied that. I think it's an interdisciplinary institution and just the people you make at the end of people you meet at the end of the day are what matter the most. Um, and that's why I think I love Penn. It's, it's the people. That's, that's what's unique to Penn. And that's our, really the value proposition of, of being at a place like here. Um, and, and I think for me, I was very fortunate enough to get scholarships um, and, and be able to afford Penn and, and know that um, financial aid and having the support of my university was important to me and is one of the core reasons that I'm even at Penn was um, dependent on that financial aid. And I was lucky enough um, to be awarded scholarships and be here, but definitely I think what's, what's different to my experience is that now being here, there are a lot of people that do have that privilege, that do have socioeconomic privilege or are legacy students or um, just have a different lived experience than I do. And now being here and having some of that educational privilege, it then becomes a question for me to know how am I going to then empower other people? How am I going to extend out the impact that I've had or, or make sure that people around me are also have the same resources that I was fortunate enough to have. So when I applied to college, I did a program called QuestBridge, which is essentially a program for first generation low income um, students, specifically um, people of color. So um, as a QuestBridge scholar, essentially if you are matched to a university, which includes their partners like MIT, um, Penn, Oberlin, a bunch of liberal arts colleges, as well as um, just top tier universities, you would then have a full ride to the university. Um, I was just a finalist for the program. I did not get the full ride, um, but through QuestBridge, I found a community of students that were also like, I don't know how to write my essay. Can someone edit and look over my application? I'm thinking about going to XYZ college. Does anyone attend this university and would be able to help me? So through that, I became a QuestBridge mentor. I've read through dozens of people's applications, helped them with interviews for Penn, um, told them what to do like in terms of coming to campus or like what the best way to really navigate the college process is because 
um, it really does quite become a, become crucial to really evaluate the space that you're in and, and recognize the opportunities you've been given to really give back. So that was kind of my journey all throughout um, going from high school then to college was just being mindful of the resources I had and um, really figuring out like what the best avenue was for me, spending the next four years um, at a university and getting the most out of that experience. Yeah, you're blowing my mind right now because um, <laughs> I, I'm learning a lot about all these resources that, you know, I'm a person, a white person of privilege whose kids um, don't have access to those resources or need access to those resources. So I don't even know about them. And you um, are a first generation college student with not an old, older sibling or anything. So how in the heck did you even figure all this out? Yeah, you have to be really driven and really committed. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you. Yeah, I think it was definitely, I'm lucky that I did have great access to internet. Um, and I've always been constantly on my laptop. And I was, I was definitely someone in, in just in high school as a person. Um, although my studies mattered to me, and I was taking AP classes and, and rigorous courses. Um, somehow, like, the things that you really take away especially I think just in general in life are, are the experiences that you have. So I remember one time I was applying to like this conference just to attend it at the, at the UN and at the World Bank. And I was filling out the form and then the question asked me like, please state your affiliation. So it was like college student, um, business owner, um, diplomat slash foreign leader. And then it said other. So I was a high school student. I was a junior in high school at this time. And I was like, well, I'm not any of these things. So I clicked other and I just like put student and I sent in my application and then a few days later, I get an email and it says, congratulations, you've been accepted to come to our program. Um, please let us know if you can attend. There's a wait list. And from my perspective, it was just something that I found looked interesting. I just applied to it. Um, but you know, I then ended up going to this conference with the youngest speaker at the World Bank at the UN. And to me, like in essence, like that was a lot of that was embodying a lot of my high school experiences was me just finding opportunities and just going for them, putting myself out there. Um, whether it was a conference or whether it was applying to scholarships, um, I just did these things w with no expectations and just, you know, said, said a quick prayer, like said, said, hoped for the best, put my best foot forward, put good positive energy, um, you know, into whatever I was doing and then just went for it. And I think that really at the core of who I was or why I got into Penn or, or any of that was my experiences and, and who I what who I was as a person more so than my GPA or any other um, mm -hmm. characteristic and I, and I think it was more so like I knew that because I didn't have these other resources you if you put in the work and if you put in the research there are endless endless um, opportunities for you to explore and really delve into but it's just a matter of you taking those first steps and being a self-starter was just something I had ingrained in myself since I was young from my family values and um, the environments that I was in and I think it does also go back to the environment of like your parents and like knowing that my parents are immigrants to this country and I think the immigrant narrative or this concept of the American dream really does rely on your the generation that comes after the people who have first come to the states um, and like the impact you're gonna make because really you you then embody um, the future success for your family for people who look like you for people who have the same experience as you and I think that's really why that idea of being a self-starter or being driven, as you said, just came from my family values and um, my past experiences. Yeah, what's really striking me right now is um, I'm hearing a lot of, um, well, there's a, there's a bunch of things rolling around in my head right now. I'm like, which one do I grab first? So, you know, this idea that 
the GPA and all that doesn't matter as much as like the core of who you are. And, you know, as I'm hearing you talk, and as we've been talking even before we started the interview, I'm really getting a sense that you are authentically showing up as the person that you are, that this stuff is really, you're not doing what you're doing for it to be on your resume so that you get into a particular school. I mean, this is really who you are. And I mean, you're 18. If I read your resume, like you're the chief of staff at JUV Consulting. You've been recognized as a Coca-Cola scholar and a Ronald McDonald scholar. You're the youngest speaker at the UN and World Bank for the International Young Leaders Assembly. You received the President's Volunteer Service Award. You've been part of Bank of America Student Leader Program. AOL's Built by Girls Wave Program, Cold Spring Harbor Park, it, Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, that one's fun. Um, and you served as the Chanel Kindless Reporter. Is it Channel or Chanel? Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, holy cow, I feel like such a loser. <laughs> and like, and it, it starts out like, you're 18. So you have accomplished so much from a very young age. It's quote unquote impressive, right? But it really, as I'm talking, feels like it is just organically who you are and what you want to do. So like what motivates you? What inspires you? That's such a deep and good question. Um, you know, I, I think in a very philosophical or existential way, people don't know their purpose in life, right? And I think I've taken a lot of time to critically just um, think about who, the space that I'm in. Like time and space is very relevant. Like look at the current political moment that we're in. It's a very polarizing political moment. And I think when you see people in positions of power or people in positions of privilege, it then becomes an ode for you to internally self-reflect. So I think that, for example, like let's take the election of Trump, the 2016 election when Trump was elected. I told myself that there's no way that Hillary Clinton is not going to become the next president of the United States. Hillary will rig the election to like win. I, I fully believe that people were just... You know, it, it, it was useless for us to stress about this because how can we as the American public, the world's premier superpower and greatest democracy, put someone like that in power? It was unfathomable. Yeah, it, um, I completely agree. And I remember I had fallen asleep before like the votes had done. I was literally doing my homework and I woke up. It was like 3 a.m. I woke up and I saw the election results and the red bar was um, at a higher point than the blue bar. And I was absolutely shocked um, and in awe, you know, like truly yeah, the chills were going dumbfounded. Like, what? Like, it, it was, like I, don't know, it, I went to bed going, well, tomorrow I'm just going to wake up and Hillary's going to be president. We're going to go on with our day. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. 100%. And I, I was just absolutely shocked. And I think it was more of a moment that, like, if someone with Hillary Clinton's resume as a woman, right, runs for office, has extensive experience, and then you look at the polar complete opposite of that then we place in a position of power I think it's a wake-up call and I think now if you look at the United States political landscape with things like the Me Too movement, March for Our Lives, Black Lives Matter, um, just social justice activism in general, we can definitely see this trend that when 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 people notice things that are just inherently incorrect, people want to galvanize and take action and I think for me on a very micro scale that began when I when I knew that like my mom has has incredibly like given up everything that she wanted like scholar when she was in high school right um or when she was in when she was about to enter college um scholarships or the opportunity to come to the states because she had she had a family she had me and she wanted to completely focus on me and my dad worked um but my mom is the one that would like go through homeworks with me or help me with um everyday 
small things like, oh, like, here's an outfit you should wear, like, the, the things that moms do, right, and, and really, I think the world's hardest job is being a mother, um, but I think that having role models and people that really embody um, so much hard work and conviction is that what then obviously turns to motivate you, and um, you become, people are a product of their environment, so I think that this is true on, like, a micro scale for me, but also on a macro scale, it's just that if you want to create impact, like your age should not be something that factors or limits you. And I think even if you're reading who I am as a person, I'm I'm a first generation student, I'm Pakistani, I'm Muslim, I'm a female, but I think that people like boxes and people like categories to really pigeonhole themselves into them. But in, in reality, at the end of the day, I'm just another human being. Or mm-hmm. I think, for example, I'm chief of staff at Juve and being at Juve, we work with, along with C-suite executives. And every time we're having conversations with them or let's say we're supposed to be somewhere for like one hour, we'll end up being there for three hours because people just have so many questions and they're so energized by the work that we're doing. And I think that'd be true anywhere, right? Like I think going back to empathy, having conversations with people is so crucial. The reason I think a Democrat and a, and a Republican couldn't sit at the same people and have a conversation is because they lack empathy. It's not about me agreeing with your points or me um, completely changing my mind, but it's about me being open-minded enough to say, I recognize where you're coming from. I think you're incorrect because of this reasoning, but I'm still willing to listen. And I think that's really what drives um, the way that I think or, 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 or just how I view things is this concept of like empathy and being just human, being a global citizen that my impact on within a very, very condensed space can still lead to impacting someone in a small way somewhere else, or it's truly a small world, your impact um, really does have a chain reaction effect from my perspective. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really what tied into um, like my past experiences and and just like what I've done thus far was that mentality and that mindset. Yeah, I can feel it in you. I can feel like this moving forward energy, like I'm not going to let anything stop me. I want to, I want to make impact in the world and I'm not going to let age, gender, race, you know, anything get in the way because underneath it all I'm just human just like everyone else and that's one of the things that um I think is so important about this podcast is that with you guys talking to each other and everyone a lot of um students I'm talking to are saying you know I'm, I'm feeling x y or z or I'm having this experience yeah. and then everyone else is raising their hand saying you know I feel the same way and so we're, we're not alone and we're all the same underneath all of these personas and these labels. We're just, we're just someone like out there trying to find a way to be happy and fulfilled. And when you were talking about the divisiveness and politics and, you know, the right and the left and us not hearing each other, I really like, and this empathy piece, because one of the things um, we're going to talk about um, on this podcast, I'm going to be, I, I'm doing some teaching in between my interviews. I teach. So I'm going to be teaching the skills that um, conscious leaders that I work with use in their um, toolkit to run their companies. And these are people that I really respect and admire. And this idea of bringing empathy to a conversation and listening consciously to one another. I mean, I think what happens is we get really righteous in our beliefs and that righteousness just comes from fear, right? Like, we're just afraid and we're afraid if we open up and get empathetic um, that we might lose some ground or standing when it's really the opposite, right? Like when we open up and when we're empathetic and when we hear the other person's side, we, they actually soften 
and become empathetic. And then there's this huge opening for collaboration and for connection. And it all starts with connection, connection and collaboration and creativity. All of that stuff opens up in this space of empathy and conscious listening. And you know, you, you're a witness to the culture that we're in right now in our political world, that doesn't exist. We're all stuck right trying to prove ourselves because we're also afraid. Now you talk about um, one of the things um, on your website, you, I read the phrase minorities are not minors, they're marginalized communities. Yeah. Will you expand on that idea and how that idea has shaped you and shaped how you live? Yeah, um, I was listening to um, listening to a talk like in high school and I can't remember the name of the individual, but it was basically this really strong like African, excuse me, uh, Latino woman. And she got up on the stage and, and she said this one phrase that was like, quote verbatim, like minorities are not minor, they're mar marginalized communities. And I think for a lot of my life, I used who I was as a person, like the, the going back to the idea of identity, right? Like your race, your religion, who you, what, what your socioeconomic background is, as factors of strength. They were not my weaknesses. They were still, they were instead things that I could le leverage. And when she said that minorities are not minor, it kind of um, changed my perspective on the way that I, I looked at my identity and just in general different groups of people in the sense that um, I think that, like going back to the, almost like the idea of like colonialism or like um, white, white man savior syndrome, things like that, where we tend to just skew our perceptions of people in extremes. So you fit this category and you've gone through these mm -hmm. experiences. These are XYZ ways that we can help you or um, this is the best way for us to assist you. We're like, here's what you should do, right? We, we treat things in terms of extremes. And I think that when, when you say that minorities are marginalized communities, that's a bit more accurate because number one, you're not diminishing their value. You're not diminishing their experiences or um, their struggles and their ordeals. But at the same time, it's almost like to be empowering to them as well. It's, it's, it's this reciprocity that I don't think comes from the word minority. Um, and I, I really do think the crux really is the word minor itself. Um, yes, yes. So I think that's why that was just something that really resonated and struck with me because it, a lot of the context that you think about people of color in is of um, the disempowerment or the negativity of it or the generalizations that we use to describe people's struggles really can be um, con just like very misconstrued. And I think that there are, might be things that specific communities, whether it's the LGBTQ community or the African American community, um, have experienced. But using using minor minorities, I think, can take away from all the successes and all the great positive forward um, movements that have also done and and come to fruition. So that's kind of why that's resonated with me, and that's something that um, I like to talk about. And I think it starts a good conversation with people too, um, because if you really critically think about it, there is something to be said even about the words and the vernacular that we're using. Oh my gosh, the word itself, minor. Yeah. minor. I mean, when you, I love words, I love etymology, I love breaking words down. Words are powerful. If we don't pay attention to the words we're using, consciously and unconsciously, um, I mean, they're our ability to communicate and what makes us different from animals. Like we use words to communicate. So I, um, I like that you're, you're, you're touching on that and you're paying attention to it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an important one. I also noticed that um, you're involved or started the Penn Association for Gender Equity and Asian Pacific American Heritage Week. And while in high school, you founded Code for a Cause. Why did you choose these specific issues? And how were you able to successfully integrate your foundations into your high school and college life? 
For sure. So, um, yeah, in high school, so I went to a predominantly white public high school in New York, and, um, you know, being a person of color and being Muslim was definitely something that was difficult at times. I had moved around, moved around a lot um, when I was younger, and I essentially started the school in fifth grade, so um, when you, in the school district, it was like seven through 12 was in one building, and then like all of kindergarten to sixth grade was in one, another building, and um, I remember one of the first experience that I, experiences that I have it was like the story that I had. So I went, I'm, I'm Muslim, but I did go to Catholic school in fourth grade. And I actually loved going to Catholic school. It was great because there were so many similarities between Christianity and Islam. Um, we would do prayers before like tests. And for me, I love learning about other religions. I love learning about other people. So for me, I really, really enjoyed actually going to Catholic school. Yeah. Um, and when I came to um, high school in fifth grade, my one of the, this one boy asks me, um, Shaina, who's your role model? And I was just in this mindset of like, you know, like just going to Catholic school. Like I was really like exploring religion, exploring my religion, very cognizant of who I was as a Muslim. And Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is very significant in Islam. But you can say Prophet Muhammad or you can say his longer name. So the longer name for Prophet Muhammad is like Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's a mouthful. It's a lot. And this boy turns around to me and he says, um, guys, China's role model is Osama bin Laden. And it was, <laughs> oh my goodness. I was like in fifth grade and it oh was like, like, looking back at it now, it's, oh, it is a little like, it's, it's a bit funny, but it's also like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? I was also like, you're a five, like you're in fifth grade. None of these, none of these kids will know what you're talking about. You probably just got like confused and nervous. But I think that was one of those moments where I just realized that, um, people might not be aware of their surroundings and at the same time you need to know your audience. So from that one experience, um, I just became very cognizant of the space that I was in. And I realized there just weren't enough opportunities for people to pursue their interests. So the school that I was in, like we were very much so focused on like football culture and sports culture, whereas a lot of my friends were incredibly, incredibly talented and were really good artists, but the art department de de definitely did not have as much funding as our sports department did. Um, or our research program was not as competitive as other research programs in surrounding schools because the school had five districts. Um, and just those comparisons were really like disappointing to me. And I realized that if I wanted to do something, I just, there wasn't really an administrative way for me to change things um, unless I initiated it. So like one small example was that like a lot of volunteerism and community service was not present at my school. So I started the Red Cross Club. Um, and from when I, when I did this, I had like had one other mentor who really guided me and helped me through it. But at its foundation, like I had to do everything um, and like have a board, have people around me to support me. But that was again, not something that I had administration or other people helping me with. So from that one experience, I just realized that you d to have agency and access, you can create it yourself. You don't need an institution or someone else to really facilitate that. Um, yeah, just, but how did you know that? Like, how did you, like, there's, right? So you're, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm over here like, what? Yeah. Like, of course that's true. But yeah. for some reason, you, you really always had the sense of self-empowerment. Like I can do anything, nothing's going to stop me. And I'm not going to let anything put me down. Yeah. Like, where does that come from? It's, it's mind-blowing to me over here. I'm sitting here listening to you going, most kids at that time in their life would just be a victim of their circumstances, or many people are, many people aren't, but sure. you, you choose not to be that way. Yeah, and I think it really does go back to perspective, though. I'm firmly someone that believes that whatever circumstances you're in, like, everything happens for a reason, and I, and I guess in some ways it does come from my spiritual values, but really in essence and, like, 
just in practice, I do think that if everything does happen for a reason, and if you're in the circumstances that you're in, there has to be a way for you to change them though, right? And I, and I, and I knew for me, like I, within my high school environment, I just didn't feel challenged. I just didn't feel like I was doing enough, um, which is why like, I felt like I had to start things. Or I also had role models and people around me that I knew were doing incredible work across the country or like um, people that I could really look up to. I, I mean, like even with um, like Juve, I knew who Ziad was in high school. And when I came out to Juve, um, I had only met Ziad three times and this was in college. So in high school, I knew who he was. Um, I knew he was a great proponent and advocate for the Muslim American community. For me, that was so empowering. Like so knowing someone else that was making tangible change, had gone to the White House, had spoken with industry leaders and was creating his own path was so empowering for me. So to me, it was like, if people like Ziad exist, why can't I also be someone who maybe is not doing it in the same regard or the, or the same um, level, but within my own community, trailblazing and really facilitating that, it's possible. If you can do it, why can't I do it? Yeah. Um, and really does go back to like, you can't let things that people will define you by define the path that you want to take. <laughs> so I think it really does come down to perspective. And I think a lot of young people realize that like you have all the resources you need to do what you want truthfully what makes generation z different than other generations is that we are digital natives but we, and every generation i think really does challenge the status quo but we have all the tools and resources to facilitate that change to really actualize our potential and that's what the difference is so for me like there was no excuse and i guess it's a matter of perspective like maybe some people just want to get a job and you know feel secure in that but for me it's like okay if I was at work what policies can I enact for our company to sure maybe increase our profits and returns but also empower smaller local communities and make sure that we're supporting local businesses or employing social corporate social responsibility programs or social impact programs um which is like why I mentioned you know being passionate about using the private sector to ultimately help the public sector later on um if you're going to look at just the politics of economics within capitalism why is it that the one percent hold 99 percent of the of, yeah. uh, you know, like yeah. the good question so i think it's really just again goes back to um just like changing your mindset and understanding that if other people are doing it that sure as hell means that you can definitely also be doing this because there's truthfully nothing holding holding you back as cheesy and you know as, as generic as that might sound you know, I really liked that last thought. There's nothing holding you back. The only thing that really holds any of us back is our mindset, it's our beliefs. And Shina, she's of the mindset that she can do anything. If he can do it, I can do it. Think about it, what's holding you back? And more importantly, are you even aware of the unconscious beliefs you may have that do hold you back? So in the end, this is the big idea actually. Can you develop enough awareness to know what beliefs hold you back from creating your life exactly as you want it. We'll talk more about that next week. And in the meantime, remember, make no excuses, just make impact. Thanks for listening to University. If you liked what you heard, I'd be absolutely thrilled for you to share with a friend and equally grateful for you to pop over and rate and review on iTunes. It really helps. You can find more information and stay in touch over at university.u on Instagram or at University on Facebook. I'll look forward to seeing you there. If you'd like support navigating the stress and chaos, and you're ready to create a more fulfilling college experience, I offer live weekly group coaching calls every Thursday, four to five central time. It's a place to gather together, to be seen and heard, 
to reduce your stress and learn how to be in control of your life and create a life you love. Give the first week a try for free. Check it out. For more information, email me at annemarie.university at gmail.com or click the link in the show notes below.